I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. The scriptures for you and your hearing. Um, in Matthew 6 and verse 22, um, I'm reading it out of the Amplified, and it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your entire body will be full of light. I, uh, this morning, I was enjoying teaching so much. And uh, I, I just, I, I made mention this morning that I couldn't, I was getting into what I was going to preach. And so I went home. I didn't change what I was going to preach. But I did uh, add to it. And so... I'm, this, I'm just going to have the opportunity here to give you my heart in such a way. I, I, I have, I've heard it said several times, and, and um, I, I believe it. Uh, I believe it, and I'm, I feel like I'm kind of back in that area of teaching and preaching. Is that it's time? It's time for the church to to move ahead individually. You know, we talk about the Jordan River. Well, and we've talked about we've talked about it. I think we've got everybody across that's ready to get across. So what we've got to do now is spend some time getting some people ready to cross. We've we got to get some people ready to cross. Now, in Hebrews, we know this one very well. 11 verse 1, the Amplified. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for. Now, I want you to look at this. Faith... Then if you look at it in the King James Version, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So what faith is in reality is the substance, the tangible evidence of hope. That's what that is. For being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Look at that again. Faith in when you have the manifestation of hope, then it, it's the perception as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. My senses tell me as I, that those are not real. Okay? I can't see and can't hear, but if those are real, I'd smell them. So I go and my senses tell me, but now faith would tell me that those are as real as they're going to get. Okay, I'm going to talk to you and preach to you, teach to you a little bit tonight concerning uh, the futility of hopelessness. The futility of hopelessness. And I am ministering to some people that really need some hope. I just feel this in the Holy Ghost right now. I'm going to say this, that you, you don't attend this church a great deal. But you're here tonight and you're here looking for something. You're here looking and searching for hope. I want to introduce you to hope. You may be seated if you'll clap your hands as you go down. A young couple moved into a new neighborhood. The next morning while they were eating breakfast, the young woman sees her neighbor hanging the wash outside. She says, well, that laundry's not very clean. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Her husband looks on, and he, he remains silent. Now, every time 
Her neighbor hangs her wash to dry. The young woman makes the same comments. A month later, the woman is surprised to see a nice, clean wash on the line. And she says to her husband, she said, look, she's finally learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her. The husband replies, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. You know, what you see when you're watching others or when you're looking at your own predicament is always clouded by how you perceive it. It's always clouded. How you look through the glass of your own perception. How you see through your eyes. And if it's clouded, everything is going to seem cloudy to you. So it's vital to understand Most of what we see and most of what we judge incorrectly is due to the fact that we need a good eye wash. We need to see through more than just the carnal eye. I need to see through how God sees things. And if we do, this can be preached and has been preached probably thousands of times. But somewhere, somewhere along within our walk, we have to learn. That we need to see things, truly need to see things the way God does. And when we learn to do that, we will find out that we're not only looking at someone else and looking at them correctly the way Jesus does, but we will look at our own situation without that, that uh, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Or, let's just put it another way. When they say, I just don't see. Stop. Now we can add the rest of that. I just don't see how we're going to make it. I just don't see how I'm going to make it to the next paycheck. I just don't see how that, that my, my children are going to find the right spouse. I just don't see how my car's going to make it another month. I just don't see. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I got the point across, we use that, and they're using a phrase of hopelessness. That is the speak of hopelessness. And we do not talk that way. We talk with the evidence of faith, knowing that my God, who I have served for this long, or my God, who I would really like to learn a little bit more about, has got the... I listen, He talks in hope. He's going to help your car to make it. He's going to help your finances is to go the, as long as you need it. That's the God that I serve. He's not a hopeless God. He is a God that is full of hope. He is full of He's full of peace. He is full of all the good things that we will ever need. We just have to look at Him with a little different eye. Look. How you see How you see life determines your stress, determines your success, determines your stability, determines your strength. It determines everything in your life. How you see your life, how you see God, how you see your past, how you see the present, how you see the future, how you see money, how you see time, how you see strengths and weaknesses. Everything in your life is affected by your perspective. Everything. I cannot look at things the way that the general world looks at them. 
I can't see them through the eyes of melancholy. I cannot see them through some kind that just can't work for me. I've got to look at this with a perspective. Yes, I know God can. And somebody's here tonight that doesn't have the Holy Ghost that you think that there is no hope for you. Let me tell you something, honey. Let me tell you, God can make all the difference in the world in your life. You give your life to Him and you'll find yourself in an area your perspective will change, your spirit will change. You'll see life with hope once again. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, different translation, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, then your whole body is full of darkness. Obviously, he's talking about more than physical sight here. He's talking about vision. He's talking about perspective. He's talking about seeing with spiritual eyes. What he is saying here is a perspective is everything. That it is so important that you see life clearly, that you see life correctly, that you see life comprehensively and completely, that you learn to see life from God's point of view. You need to see it from His point of view. Mark 8 tells a story where Jesus does a miracle. And he has a conversation with his disciples that explains a lot of things to us. He actually uses three things. He uses a misunderstanding with his disciples. He uses a miracle. Then he uses a critical question to clarify and help people get a better vision, a better handle on what, what am I supposed to be doing with my life. And that's really what we need to do. I'm in the church. i got the Holy Ghost. Or I'm not in the church. Now, where do I go from here? First off, you're not in the church. You, go, you come to God in repentance. You let God begin to take over your life. You let God fill you with the Holy Ghost. You get baptized in His name. And you make a decision right there, I'm going to serve Him. Secondly, when that happens for you, you begin to say, all right, now what? The whole point is that you're looking at everything wrong. Not in the fact of getting salvation, but if you have salvation, you can't keep asking God, what do you want me to do? And God has got everything around you He wants you to do. First and foremost, He wants you to become a saint of God. He wants you to learn everything that you can about Him. And that is the top thing that you could ever do, is to know Him, the power of His resurrection. And in sometimes the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable, God, I love you so much that I am willing to die for you. When you do that, life begins to change. What am I going to do with my life? What am I, how am I going to handle this situation? This is, these are the critical questions. Well, let's, uh, let's start first with what I could call an embarrassing misunderstanding between Jesus and the disciples. Let's pick up the story where he gets on a boat, or in a boat rather, with his disciples to go to the other side of the lake. Mark eight thirteen. He says then, Jesus got into the boat, and he actually told them, I talked about this this morning, let's go to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf. They had that in the boat. Jesus begins to teach them. He says, be careful now. He said, watch out for the leaven, or the yeast. We'll use yeast because that's what leaven is. Yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now the disciples discussed why Jesus had said this. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And they decided it was because they brought one loaf of bread. You see, that's how we think. We think in the clear terms, practical terms, 
Jesus is worried about ye, so he must be worried we don't have enough to eat. <laughs> How many times you come to service and God deals with, with you, talks to your heart. You hear some kind of prophetic statement or you get a tongues and interpretation and, and, and you put some kind of bent on that thing that is completely contrary to what God was trying to say. It's because you listen in the carnal ears or you listen to somebody beside you. What's God saying to you? So what happened here is they totally missed the point. You know, the disciples were going, why should we worry about yeast, Lord? Why, why, why don't we, we don't, you know, we don't even have any bread. Now, this is typical of the disciples. The disciples were often clueless, just like we are. We're clueless. The most exciting thing that could ever happen in your life is when you receive salvation. When you begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives you utterance, that's the most exciting thing that will ever... That opens up a whole panorama of opportunities for you. Not only are you going to go to heaven, but you also have all kinds of great things that can happen in your life. But instead, we stop worrying about what we are losing. My friends are not going to like me anymore because I'm one of them apostolic Pentecostals. Who cares? Win them to God. Then they'll love you. If you have what I have, you would say, I don't care what the world does. I just want to be closer to the one who's given me this wonderful life. So they missed the point. They never, kind of, they never kind of caught up, and they were slow to understand what Jesus meant. And here they totally missed the point. Jesus is using a metaphor for life, and they think he's talking about it literally. So Jesus says this in verse 17. He said, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, guys, he said, why are you talking about having no bread? What are you doing? What are you talking about that? Do you still not see? Because they can't see their way clearly. Do you still not see or understand? Are your minds closed? You guys have eyes, but you don't really see. And you, you have ears, but you don't really listen. And, and then he gives them a little quiz. He says, remember when I divided those five loaves of bread to feed 5,000 people? How many baskets did you, you fill with leftover pieces of food? And they said 12. And he said, what about then I divide, when I divided seven loaves of bread to the 4,000 people we fed? How many baskets did you fill with the leftover pieces of food? They said seven. Jesus said, you still don't understand and you still don't get it. Now listen to me. You don't get anything else, get this. They got the answers right to the questions. How many loaves were left over feeding the 5,000? Twelve. How many loaves did you pick up feeding 4,000? Seven. But they still didn't get it. You can know all the facts of the Bible and still not get it. Some people take pride in how much Bible knowledge they have. They can quote scriptures back and forth. They can argue theology. They can talk about doctrine. They got a question for everything and an answer for everything, but they don't get it. You can have the Bible memorized, still not get it. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know your problem, guys. Now, listen, oh, you, you don't get this. You've got to get this. You don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. And that was an insult to a Pharisee who had to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy completely. They had to memorize that. And here Jesus said, you guys don't know the Scripture. Do you know what kind of a smack that was right between their eyes? 
Jesus says to them, you don't know the Scriptures. In other words, you can have all this Bible content and still be out of the loop. Does that make sense? Every miracle has a message in it. And both of these miracles where Jesus multiplied the bread, he was trying to teach something as well as meet people's needs. And obviously the disciples did not understand that. They were clueless. They were spiritually blind. They couldn't see their way clearly. Blindness, my friend, is a metaphor for a closed mind. In the Bible, whenever you see blindness, it's also a metaphor for spiritually closed mind. It's really important that you understand this because when we look at the miracle in just a minute, when Jesus heals the blind man, he's not just healing a blind man. He's teaching us truth about when we have our minds closed. Please, don't close your mind. Don't make Pentecost just another religion. Don't make your experience just something that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. My experience is just as new today as it was last week or last year or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's just as real. You know, Jesus often would say, he said, you blind guides, you blind leaders, you don't know what you're talking about. They weren't physically blind, but they were spiritually blind. They had all the facts and the doctrines of the Bible, but they did not get it. What is it that keeps me from seeing clearly? Why can't I just understand this and see this and realize I don't have to worry. I don't have to be fearful. I don't have to worry about my health. I don't have to worry about my finances. I know, well, you're going to get mad at me over this, but you know what? I feel like I'm going to go to heaven. I've said this before. I don't think we have to walk around eternally insecure. I'm not, I don't believe in eternal security, but I believe that I can live right and have a hope when I go to bed tonight. If the, if the Lord sounds a trumpet, guess what? I'm going. Guess what? Come on. That should make you jump to your feet and say hallelujah. Why? Because you know you're going to go to heaven, and you know that you don't have to be insecure about it. Why is it that sometimes I can't see what's the problem in my life? I can't figure out what, what's the problem in my marriage. I can't figure out what the problem is at work. Why is it that sometimes I'm headed down the road and I have no idea where I'm going? I just can't see what God's doing in my life. I just hit 95.3336 of you. In this passage, Jesus points out three barriers. Three barriers that cause us not to be able to see clearly. And you can close your mind to what I'm about to say if you want to. Or you can open your mind and you can get through this. And you begin to see some success in your relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God, you can begin to get one right now. First and foremost is my pride. When I'm prideful, I can't see what God's doing in my life. Come on. And what God wants to do in my life. And what God wants to do in your life. Jesus says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, look at this. What was he saying? What does yeast do? It puffs up. In the Bible, yeast is often a metaphor for pride and arrogance. And that makes sense because what does yeast do? Again, it puts yeast in the dough. And what does it do? It puffs it up. And you put too much, it blows it up. It expands stuff. You know, there's no greater pleasure outside of doing great things in God and with my, my family 
than taking some of that explosive stuff and putting it out and shooting it and watching it blow. That's so much fun. You know, any good red-blooded American Indiana person should like to blow things up. That's what keeps us safe. Because they're scared to death to come over and attack Indiana because we've got a lot of people who like to blow things up. So what does yeast do? It blows things up. When you're cooking, you don't need a lot of yeast. You just need a little. That's what pride is in your life. You don't have to have a lot of pride, just a little pride. And we'll get you in all kinds of problems. Just a little pride will take over quickly. So when I'm filled with pride, when I have the yeast of the Pharisees, guess what? I can't see life clearly because my pride won't let me admit a few things. Now this so you'll know that I have some of the same problems. I've been seeing that in my life. The, my best message is I preach is when I finally understand something for myself. And I see that there's some areas that needed to be taken care of. So I begin to work in some of these areas. And the more that I work in these areas, the clearer I begin to see. And I realize what this is all about. What this is all about for this guy is to see as many of you have success in your lives and make it to heaven as I possibly can see. And every one of you that get a little bit better makes me feel better. Every one of you that says, I think I finally see it, makes me feel better. Every person that prays through, that bows their knees here, it makes me feel better. Why? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. In reality, that's what we're all supposed to do. The second thing that keeps me from seeing life clearly is short-term thinking. And there's a lot of people who got that. They have a real problem with short-term thinking. When I'm only focusing on the here and now, and not what God wants to do in my life, long-term, when I'm thinking about current comfort rather than long-term character, when I'm thinking about my happiness, not my holiness, when I'm thinking about my success and not my surrendering to God, when I'm thinking about enjoying now instead of preparing for eternity, I'm going to miss what God wants to do in my life. That's short-term thinking. This is what happened when the disciples... Jesus is trying to teach them a lesson. And when he talks about this, he's talking about life, and they think he's talking about lunch. That's short-term thinking. He's talking about behavior, and they think he's talking about bread. He's talking about the need for maturity, and they're talking about their next meal. That's short-term thinking. Short-term thinking causes us not to see how God's working in our lives now. Instead of understanding what God is doing and being so thankful that He's done what He has in my life. We're worried about something that we have absolutely no control about. You know, <laughs> this is so important because it is the great weakness of American culture. It's hard to think long term today because everything in our society teaches you to do the opposite. And whenever you're thinking short-term, you can't see what God's doing in your life. You can't see His long-range plans for your character because you're just thinking about your comfort. The third thing that keeps me from seeing life clearly is short-term memory. Pride, short-term thinking, short-term memory. Here's an example where, where Jesus has to remind the disciples of a couple of things that just happened. He reminds them of the two miracles. Remember, they're all worried about bread, and Jesus says, Guys, who's in the boat with you? 
I'm the guy who just took a few loaves and fed 5,000 people. I'm the guy who just took a few other loaves and fed 4,000 people. And you're worried about lunch. What are you thinking? I'm with you. You, you get that? When you're worried about lunch tomorrow, you get that to who's in the boat with you? When you're worried? You're worried because there's no work? Remember who's in the boat with you? Remember about physical problems? Remember who's in the boat with you? Remember what he did last year? Remember what he did last week? Come on. You remember when, how you felt when you got up after you spoke in tongues for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 3 hours, whatever it was? You remember how you felt? That's the same God that's with you today. He is absolutely no different. No different. <laughs> You're worried about that. Now, what are you thinking? We're not going to get hungry if you hang around me. That's what he's telling the disciples. You're not going to get hungry if you, you stay close to me. What had happened here? How quickly we forget. God does something good in our lives. He answers a prayer. He balls us out. He, he helps us with a miracle. Then the next time a problem comes along, we act as if it never happened. We have short-term memory, and we forget. When I can't remember past blessings, I start fearing the future. I stop thinking God will do it again because I'm not even remembering He did it the first time. When I have short-term memory, I start worrying unnecessarily about tomorrow. And all you're talking about, we're learning to see from God's viewpoint, having spiritual vision is absolutely essential. As I said, to your, to your success, to your stress level, to your stability, to your strength, all of these different things, all of this is understanding what God's viewpoint is about. Without a vision, the proverb says, the people perish. Without clear vision, you lose hope. When you don't have a vision of your family, you lose hope. When you don't have a vision of your career, you lose hope. When you don't have a vision for your health, you lose hope. When you don't have a vision for your children, you lose hope. Without a vision, the Bible says, the people perish. When you can't see your way clearly, it means you've lost your vision, which means you're going to lose your hope. The place you get hope is from having a view of the world and of your life with God. Now let's look at the miracle. Jesus is saying, I'm going to have to teach these guys a lesson because they're not getting it. The key to understanding life is learning to see life from God's point of view, having a spiritual vision. Mark 8:22, he says this. He said, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and a beggar. <clears throat> Excuse me. They blind man and begged, not a beggar. The blind man begged Jesus to touch him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Jesus is going to use this miracle to do two things. One, he's going to teach us three conditions for a miracle. When you need a miracle in your life, these are the three conditions. And second, he's going to teach us the three lessons about seeing with spiritual vision. First, let's look at these three conditions for a miracle. It says that he came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man and they begged Jesus to touch him. Brought. Key word. Begged, second key word. Some people bring a blind man to Jesus. Notice Jesus does not go to him. They bring a blind man to Jesus. Here's the first point we learned, the first condition of a miracle. Miracles happen when somebody cares. 
Miracles happen when somebody cares. This guy didn't come on his own. He's blind. He had to be brought. So he has friends who care for him. Caring friends bring hurting friends to Jesus. Caring friends bring hurting friends to Jesus. There's a word for this, and it's called intercession. What is intercession? Intercession is when you bring somebody before Jesus on their behalf. You're not coming to Jesus for your own needs. Anthony's been handling that very well recently. You're coming for, for somebody else's needs. When you pray for somebody else, pray for a miracle. I have a friend. I have a neighbor. I have a coworker. I have a relative. And, Lord, they need help. They need financial help. They need emotional help. They need spiritual help. They need physical help. When you start praying like that, that's called intercession. It happens when caring people bring hurting friends to Jesus. This is what our intercessory prayer does. This is why we are so it's so important for people. Again, and when you get on, they may get on your nerves get back in the back and sister evans makes so much noise you think a siren's back there but thank god that she does it because that helps to bring hurting friends to jesus god help us to have more intercessors let us see people not only pray for somebody but to grab them by the hand and bring them to jesus that's what it's all about folks Ah, you're not with me. You don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Nobody knows. No, you don't. No, you don't know. (laughs) My question to you is, who do you need to bring? Who do you need to bring to Jesus? A lot of times God's waiting on you to do a miracle in somebody else's life. You know what? We do miracles. You bring bring someone in, that's a miracle. When that person comes to God, that's a miracle. Guess who who brought that all about? You did. (laughs) You don't get me. You don't understand what I'm saying. And this man who was blind would have never had his sight back, but he had some friends who cared. So who who around you needs a miracle? Who who at work needs a miracle? Who of your relatives need a miracle? Who of your friends need a miracle? Caring people bring their friends to Jesus. Miracles happen when somebody cares. Second, it says they brought the blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And we're going to look at touch him. It's the second thing we need to learn about miracles. Miracles happen when we get close to Jesus. Obviously, you can't be touched by Jesus unless you're close to Jesus, and you can't be touched by Him if you're far away. Simple nonsense, isn't it? So what's the point in all that? They brought Him close enough that Jesus could touch Him. Here's the key. Healing in your life does not come from religion. It doesn't. It doesn't come from religion. Healing in your life does not come from rituals. Healing, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, or financial, does not come from all kinds of rules and regulations. Hear me. Healing comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's when you trust Him to such a degree that you're not worried about your situation because you know your situation is going to change. You know what happens to too many people? The opportunity is right in front of them, and they're looking for something else. They're looking, they got in their mind what God is going to do in a situation. And when the answer is right there in front of them, they move some other direction saying, God's got to be somewhere else. When the answer's there and God's standing right in front of you and say, this is what you need to do. You need to move on it, act on it. That's why I say this altar never closed. When you feel God in your life, when you feel you need to move, right here's the place to come. It doesn't matter whether we're singing or whether I'm preaching. You be at the altar. And I guarantee you one thing. The answer to all questions and all hopelessness will begin to fade away because the answer is always Jesus. Get just as close to Him as you possibly can.
The third thing I want you to notice. Jesus took him, the blind man, by the hand and led him outside the village. Led him. Third thing we learn is that miracles happen when we trust Jesus to lead us. If this guy hadn't let Jesus lead him outside the village, he would never have seen the miracle. Never. But Jesus takes a blind man by the hand. You see how personal this is. Jesus takes a blind man by the hand, leads him outside the village. I want you to imagine, if you would, you're this blind man. Your friends have taken you to a guy you don't know about. All of a sudden, this guy says, come with me, and he grabs your hand, he leads you. You're blind. So you don't know who it is. You don't know where he's taking you, and you don't know how long this trip's going to take. Some of you feel that way right now. It's exactly how you feel. Everything I just said, that's the way you feel. I have no idea what God's doing in my life. I have no idea where he's taking me. I have no idea how long it's going to take. Congratulations, folks. You're getting ready for a miracle. You're getting ready for a miracle. This is, this is called the walk of faith. When you can't see, but God can. You can't see where Jesus is taking you. All you have to do is hang on. That's all you need to do. You're blind, and you need to trust Jesus. He's not going to walk you over in a ditch. He's not going to take you into the lion's den. He knows what he's taking you. He loves you. He knows that you need better than you do. He knows what you need better than you'll ever know. Ever. This miracle is an unusual. It's very unique. If you look at Mark 8, 22, first it says, Then Jesus spit on the man's eyes. And, and you know, we look at this, and there's been a lot of things talked about this. One time I heard it said that, that uh, the Jews believed that spitting in, on, on you was a healing factor. I got to looking into it and, and decided not to believe everything I read. And I, I got to looking into it, and actually spitting to a Jew was the worst thing you could do. You didn't like somebody, you did, you know, you've seen it like that. That was an insult. So Jesus just committed an insult on a blind man. Are you ready for some kind of deep revelation? Because you're not going to get it. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. Outside the fact that I do believe this. I believe Jesus was saying this. No matter what you think or how much it may take you down, if you will trust me, I'll give you what you have need of. <laughs> so he's got a reason behind it you know he, he knows what he's doing why did jesus spit again you know we we don't really know so he spit on his eyes put his hands on him then he asked do you see anything the man looked up and said i see people but they look like trees walking around in other words i'm not totally blind anymore but i just see shapes jesus is never satisfied with a partial vision and never stop until you get full vision. You see, we stop because we get just a little bit of the answer. And we need to be thankful for that. There's not, that's the right thing to do. But I'm not going to stop seeking till I get my complete vision. I'm not going to stop seeking God till I get salvation. And I know I've got salvation. (laughs) 
So Jesus put his hands on the man the second time. Then his eyes were opened fully and his sight was restored completely. He saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't go back into town. That's what he told him. Actually, tell him to go wash at the pool of Siloam. And that's a whole different message. They said that there are seven steps down to the pool of Siloam. So a blind man, he's still blind, got partial. He has to step down those steps to wash at the pool. Everything that is worth anything takes some steps by faith. Sometimes we have to be led out. Sometimes we have to take just extra steps and not sure where we're going where we're going to wind up. But if we will do this, we'll be able to see with our spiritual eyes. We learned three lessons about seeing life clearly. Your family, your husband, your wife, your job, your future, God, yourself. We need three lessons, and we learn these. One, my spiritual vision grows in stages. That's the first thing Jesus is modeling. He's not instantaneous. He's incremental. Spiritual vision grows in stages. It's gradual. It's progressive. You don't see everything clearly instantly in life. You see it incrementally. And if, if I could and if I was able to, I would give you a pill that would let you, that could take all of a sudden everything would make sense in your life. But that's not the way God operates. It's number one and first and foremost is you cannot take change all at once. The kind of change that God wants us to have and what he wants us to become, you cannot handle it all at once. You want to cross Jordan, you're going to have to grow. You want to get into, you want to get into heaven, you're going to have to start taking some steps. Oh, now I know why that happened. Now I know why I have these problems. Now, now I know why I'm having this conflict. Now I know why you want to do in the future. God, I've got it all. Thank you. 10-4, good buddy. This is great. I understand everything. Wouldn't it be nice if I could give you a pill and that's all you would have? You could just say that 10-4, good buddy. I've got it all together. I know exactly what's going to happen. We're just going to do this, this, and this. I'm never going to have another problem. I'm never going to go into another wilderness. I'm never going to have another fiery trial. Oh, you just bypassed the biggest part of the Bible. doesn't happen that way spiritual vision insight wisdom grows over time and stages it's incremental it's progressive it's gradual and if you've been growing spiritually you see life a lot clearer than you did 10 years ago if you don't see life any clearer than you did 10 years ago you're not growing spiritually <laughs> you know everything we do here in this church we do it or i feel like at least i do it do it intentionally and I do it designed to help people grow. That's why I, I do. That's why I study. That's why I, I preach. That's why we have Sunday school classes. Everything that we do, that's why we have prayer. We do this so that people can grow. As I said, Jesus wasn't satisfied with this guy having a blurred vision. He says, do you see anything? And the man says, I see people, but, the, but they kind of look like trees walking around. So Jesus puts his hand on him the second time. And here's the second truth we learned from this. The test of my vision is how I see other people. The test of spiritual vision is how I see others. My spiritual vision grows in stages, but the test of my vision is how I see other people. It's the number one way you know you're looking at life from God's viewpoint. How do you see other people? 
The number one test of your maturity is not how much Bible you know, how often you go to church. It's not whether you have, you're in small groups, if you would. It's not whether you serve or you're tithe or you pray. The number one test, an acid test of your maturity is your, and your vision is your relationships. How do you see other people? Because it's all about love. You see, I tithe, I pray, I do all of, this, all of these things because of love. But if I don't see people properly, my love is off. I've got to see people. This is all about love. So let me ask you some very pointed questions. Do you see your spouse the way God does? Or do you see them the way you do? How does God see your spouse? Valuable, acceptable, lovable, forgivable, deeply loved? Is that the way you see your spouse? How about other people around you? What do you see when you look at other people? The people you work with. Do you see them as enemies? Do you see them as competitors? Excuse me, competition. Or do you see them the way God sees them? I believe in the truth of God's Word that every person has value. Every person matters to God. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done or even what they believe. Jesus Christ died for them. Jesus loves them. And it's up to us to lead them to the truth regardless of what kind of background they have. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? Don't ever look at someone like there's something that you don't want to have anything to do with. There's a lot of things we don't agree with, but we love the people and we want to get them out of the mess that they're in. There's no little people. There's no insignificant people. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. Are you there yet? That's the way Jesus sees people. That's the way I want want you to grow. It's the way I want to grow. And it's the way I want to see people. So we need to learn to have compassion. We need to have compassion for our own family. Learn to have compassion for our neighbors. Learn to have compassion for for all of Indiana. You know, we've got to look at it that way. You know, my prayer, I've changed, I've changed a lot. You know, you get to praying so much. I think, I think Anthony actually helped me with that. I don't pray as much for this church as I pray for other churches. I really don't because I've prayed for 30 years for McCormick Street Church. If God doesn't know I care about it, then something's wrong. I begin to pray for the other churches. I think we need to begin to have a little bit better understanding. At least I do. Maybe you've got it all together. I don't have it all together yet. Three lessons about seeing life clearly. Spiritual vision happens in stages. A test of my vision is how I see others. And the third one, Jesus heals my sight three ways. Three ways he touches me. Three ways. One, my focus gets sharper. Bible says that when Jesus touched this man, his eyes were open. That's not even a good translation. The, his eyes were open, and literally in the Greek it means he's fixed his focus. That's what he says in Greek. He fixed his focus. The New American Standard says he looked intently, intentionally. Another translation says he looked with purpose. Another translation says he, he stared. The Amplified says he focused his attention in a very concentrated way like a laser. What's happening here? What, what, what's Jesus pointing out? That, that really, when you get touched by Jesus, your life begins to get focused. If your life is out of focus right now, it means you're not being touched by Jesus. If you say, my life is really unfocused, then I've got this, this going on and this going on and this going on and, and this going on and I'm distracted and I've got all kinds of different things going on in my life. I have no focus in my life. Then what happens is that you need to be touched. Yeah. 
by Jesus. You need to be touched by Jesus. Because the first thing that happens when He touches you is your focus gets sharper. Your life becomes more focused. The more you see from God's viewpoint, the better things are. The second thing that happens is my perspective gets larger. That's another way he heals my sight. My perspective gets much bigger. Notice he says his sight was restored completely. In other words, complete vision, full vision. What happens when Christ really takes over your life? Not just I believe in Jesus. I know about Jesus. When you let him take over your life, you are surrendered. You are submitted to his will. What happens all of a sudden is I see then the big picture. God help us to see the big picture. Quit asking so many questions. Help me to see the big picture. There's a lot of things I understand and see. And a lot of people keep nagging away and trying to drag things down and get things out of you. Look at the big picture. Oh, if you don't get that, that's the best thing you've heard tonight. Look at the big picture. I gotta get away from my situation to get perspective. I, how would you like to have God's perspective? How, how, he, he can stand not even on the earth. He can stand above history and He can see the beginning and the end all at once. That's perspective. You can get all that from God. I'm gonna tell you something right now. Might as well get this cleared. I get to preaching sometimes. And I preach, and you've heard me say this, I preach right to the very end of my ability to preach. As much as I know. Because the only way that I can ever grow is to get to that, to get to that point. And if it gets above your head, then what you need to do is pray more and listen more intently. Because the only way that I'm going to get to where I want to go is to preach to the very top post, if you would, of my ability, and you need to follow me. There's too many people out there that, that sell themselves too short. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got all the knowledge of heaven and earth in your spirit. That's God inside of you. He knows all things. That means you've got the ability to know a whole lot more than you think you can know. Give the Lord a hand clap if you think that's true. My focus gets sharper, my perspective gets larger, and the third thing Jesus does when he heals my sight is my vision gets clearer. His eyes were focused, his sight was restored completely, and he saw everything clearly. No cloudy vision, no corrupted vision, just a clear vision. Because when Jesus takes over your life, you get a focus, you get a framework. That's what makes sense, and you get foresight. How do I get that? You need to pray the prayer of Job in Job 34, 32. And he says, teach me what I cannot see. If I've done wrong, I won't do it again. Teach me what I cannot see. That was Job's prayer. And if we pray that every week, God help me to see what I cannot see. My God, that's powerful. If you ever just really think about it. So the disciples have this misunderstanding. Jesus uses that, and he gives us a miracle. And finally, Jesus uses a clarifying question to correct their vision. Mark 8, he says, this is after the miracle. 
Then Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. This is about 25 miles from Bethsaida. On the way, he asked them, who do you people say that I am? And his disciples replied, some people say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. That's the guy we talk about, you know, and we know all about Elijah comes out of the woods and Ahab and all this 900 years before Jesus. That's what they say. And still others say you're one of the other prophets. Isn't it interesting that people are often more willing to believe he was a dead prophet come back to life than who he claimed to be? So then Jesus said, but what about you? And Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. What's that, Christ, Messiah? Are, the, are, are they the same word for the Son of God? Not just a nice guy. Not just a good prophet. Not just a great moral teacher. He was the Son of God. In other words, he was God incarnate, God in the flesh. But they would prefer to think that he was a dead prophet. How I see Jesus reflects on how I see everything. If you don't see him as the one true God, and there should not be a question in your mind. I know we're in a one God church. But sometimes people still don't quite get it. They read something, see the Son of God, Son of Man, Son of somebody else, and they begin to think that there might be a triune God in there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And they forget the rest of the Scripture, and these three are one. They don't even say it that way. There is no God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. There is one God. Three manifestations of that one God. The Father in creation, Son of salvation, Holy Ghost, and regeneration. How easy can it be? But you need to understand that. Everything rests in your knowledge of the oneness of God. Every miracle, every vision, everything rests in your knowledge of the oneness of God. Stand with me. I'm not done, but I'm quitting. More out. If he's not God, then we should close up shop and go home. If he's not God, then we need just to close up shop and go home. If he is God, he deserves my love, my trust, my total obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when he grabs my hand and I'm blind and he says, follow me, I have no idea where he's taking me. I have no idea of the job, the location. I have no idea about who I'm going to, to marry. I have no idea about who's going to, what's, what's going to happen in my health. But he's taking me by the hand and he said, come with me. You're about to have a miracle. Let me tell you one other thing. When you make a decision to begin to serve God and let God save your soul, you begin on one of the greatest journeys that you will ever, ever get on. It is the grandest journey. The trip is wonderful. It's full of ups and it's full of downs. But one thing's for sure. Jesus is always going to be close to you. And everything that you have to go through, everything that you endure, you will find out that He is right there with you, holding your hand and letting you know, I'm with you. But without Him, you're still going to go through a journey. But you're not going to have that presence. You're not going to have Him there with you. And you're going to get a hopeless feeling. But tonight, I want to introduce to you the hope of the world. And His name is Jesus. Would you close your eyes with me tonight? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? This altar is open for you. Would you like for things to change? Would you like to change the hopelessness into hope? Would you like to have clear vision this evening? Would you like to know what true salvation really is? This altar is open for you. This altar is open for you.
<laughs> it's wonderful. Start the journey that will make all the difference in your life. Start the journey that can, that can be so full of, of wonder and excitement. Yes, it is. It's exciting to serve God. Don't you think apostolic people don't have fun? Why? Because when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when the Spirit of God indwells you, there's an excitement. There's spiritual excitement. There's angelic presence. There is a power of God working through you. There's healings. There is, there's miracles. There are things going on all the time. If you want that, then you need to be at this altar. And you need to allow yourself to just be used of God. Let Him take you by the hand and lead you to that place that you want to go. Let hopeliness just completely fly away from you this evening. And let hope be born brand new. And let that hope begin to be faith. Let substance grow. And when you receive faith, then you'll begin to receive His Spirit as it comes into your life. And you will know that you you got His Spirit because you will begin to speak in a language that you never have known before. Is that for you tonight? It's for all of us. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're lost, you need to be here. If you know that your relationship with God is not complete, you need to be here. I don't want to walk out of this church tonight the way that I came in. I want to go out full of hope. I want to have something new birthed inside of me. As I walk out, and if you're a saint of God in here this evening... If you walk out of here, your vision should be clearer than it's ever been before. Your body is going to feel different because there is a... I, I'm talking prophetically right now. I can't shut up. There's a, there's a prophetic presence of God here this evening as well because you're going to see things you've never seen before. You've asked God to allow you to see angels. Let God open your eyes. As you close your, your physical eyes, let God open your spiritual eyes and you will see standing around this place this evening an angelic host that fills it from one end to the the other. Would you come this evening? Would you come? Would you come this evening? Would you come? Oh, I'm just, I've just got, I, I'm just feeling. I'm not looking. I'm feeling. Would you just, would you take a step out? You need Jesus like you've never. You, you've got a relationship, but it's not a complete relationship. You, you've, you've questioned things. You're not sure about yourself because you, you have felt things. God has led you. God has convicted you, and you have felt, you have felt His presence, but you're not sure how to respond to that presence. Would you come tonight and let us help you to respond to the presence of God the way that you should? Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? I still feel that somebody needs to come. I'm just, I'm, again, I'm not looking. I'm just going by what I feel in the Holy Ghost. Would you come? Would you come? Would you let life begin brand new? Would you let life begin brand new inside of you? A new birth. Being born of the water and of the Spirit. Would you come this evening? Would you come? Would you come? I'm going to lay this, all, this, this microphone down, but this altar is still open. There are still people here that need just to step down and say, God, I want everything that you have for me. I want everything that you have for me. And I know that there's more than I have. Sometimes we can take the word of others and we can think that, that I, I've, you know, there, there's no place else for me to go. There's nothing else that I need. When in reality, if you would listen to your heart, you would know that there was more for you. And if you feel that way this evening, you need to step out and come down here. You need to step out. 
Because you need the Holy Ghost. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God would fill you this evening. You would walk away from here a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become brand new. Would you come this evening? Would you come? Lord bless you as the singers begin to sing. This altar remains open. Just because I lay this microphone down does not mean the altar is closed.